the same. So I hope you're enjoying making our way through the book of Joshua. But now you can take your Bibles and flip them into the New Testament and go to the Acts chapter 19. That's where we're going to be looking for our sermon time together this morning, Acts chapter 19. And we're going to dive into that together here in just a second. Let me say how encouraged I am by several things that uh, God is doing here at Liberty. First of all, the Lord's just brought a number of guests and visitors with us here in the last uh, few months, it seems, and we're just encouraged. We're glad that God is bringing people uh, from our community and uh, even new folks from our community into our fellowship, and uh, we're glad that you're here with us. And I'm, I'm just really fired up and encouraged by uh, the number of people that are attending our Bible studies. I know um, Jordan, who kind of uh, helps coordinate and, and um, lead our women's Bible study, is encouraged. They've had a good group, group, uh, group of women that have been coming uh, on this last Monday night, and then uh, we had a great turnout for our men's Bible study this last um, this last Wednesday morning. I think it probably had more to do with the breakfast that Levi made for us than the preaching or the teaching uh, that that they received. And so um, we are we've kind of stepped up our game a little bit. In the last few years, we've had like donuts and 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 sausage biscuits from different establishments here in town, and we had like homemade breakfast this last week. And I think Lynn. This is around here somewhere. Lynn is supposed to be cooking this coming Wednesday morning, so I'm eager, eager to see uh, what will be on the menu for this coming Wednesday morning. So it is, uh, though, I'm encouraged by the number of people that uh, are the ladies that are coming to the ladies' Bible study and the men that are coming to the men's Bible study. Um, and let me encourage you, um, it, it's always a pain to get out to something like that. Ladies, there's always something more relaxing to do on Monday night than go to a ladies' Bible study. And men, you can always sleep another hour on Wednesday morning. And I, I just, I just want to assure you that both men and women, once you've made the effort to do the thing, um, you'll be glad that you did. So let me encourage you with that. And then the the uh, new members uh, class at our uh, house last Sunday night. I think we had twelve or so people that were attending that that have that are interested in um, membership here at Liberty. So we're really encouraged uh, by the number of folks that are attending that class as well. Acts chapter 19, and I'm going to read a long passage this morning, okay? Acts chapter 19, I'm going to start in verse 8. I'm going to read all the way to the end of the chapter. Now, you remember, when we're reading through the book of Acts, we are reading, like, the, the different scenes in the book of Acts could definitely be a Netflix series. Right? I mean, it, and it would be a very interesting Netflix series. Um, don't get hung up that I use the word Netflix, Hulu or, you know, Amazon, or, you know, okay, I'm not, if you're boycotting Netflix, good for you, uh, great. Um, I already had gotten rid of it. There's all kind of garbage on, and now there's just new garbage on. So my point is, Acts is a cool book. I'm going to read you a story that should be really interesting. In verse 8, it talks about how that Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And as I read this passage to my kids last night, right, it says Paul for three months spoke boldly. My son Jay was like, that's a long sermon. That, now, you know, so like you think I preach for a long time at like 45 or 50 minutes, three months, now that's, that's accomplishing something. Verse 9, and when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, Paul withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, right? There's another joke, right? You think three months is long? Try two years. So that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both the Jews and the Greeks. And God was doing 
extraordinary miracles. Notice, notice that phrase, extraordinary miracles. Miracles, by definition, are kind of extraordinary, right? Well, God's doing extraordinary, extraordinary things. Like, so that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched the skin of Paul were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. And some of the Jewish itinerant exorcists, there's a job description, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirits answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastering all of them and overpowered them, so they fled out of that house naked and wounded. One pastor says, if you start a fight with your pants on and end a fight with your pants off, you lost. We can, this, is, this is funny. I mean, this is just like crazy, right? And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. 50,000 pieces of silver, that means nothing to us. That's about 135 years worth of wages. Some have estimated three to six million dollars in today's currency. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So he's still in the city of Ephesus. And about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Now, you remember, the way is... Um, is, is how Christianity is being t- uh, titled now. So this is, this is differentiating the, the Old Testament Jewish understanding. Now that Jesus Christ has come and they have put their faith in Him as the Messiah, those who follow Jesus are part of the way. Verse 24, A man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen, right? This guy made money and helped other people make money. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger 
not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. And the goddess Artemis, the, the Roman name is Diana. So Artemis, Diana, same God, different names, okay? And when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. I mean, you can imagine the disciples are holding Paul's robes, keeping him back. Paul wants to go into this. You've seen uh, pictures of the great, the, the great amphitheaters. That's what we're de- this being described here. Now, some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Does it sound familiar? Does it sound like rioting that is happening in the United States today? Right? Uh, we, we don't even know why we're here. We're just all, let's just cause a scene. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they cried with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. For two hours. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men, of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred and the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Many believe that there was a, a meteor that came that fell out of the sky there in in, in uh, the area of Ephesus, and they believe that that was a gift from the gods, and they brought that into the temple of Artemis and worshipped it. Verse 36, seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet. Do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. And there are proconsuls or or leaders, uh, lawyers, judges. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there's no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Father, please, as we look into this just amazing story, would you please, by your spirit, give us help to understand what's going on and to make application into our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the movie Batman Begins, there's the, the evil character of Scare, Scarecrow poisons the city's water supply. Some of you remember this. And the citizens of Gotham, they don't know this, and they have these terrifying hallucinations. And many of them, while they're hallucinating, when they see the good guy, Batman, they try to attack him and harm him. Now, in this story, who, who is the enemy? 
Right, so Batman's the good guy. He's being attacked by the people of Gotham. But who's the enemy? Scarecrow. Scare, Scarecrow's the enemy. If you haven't seen the movie, you can still understand where I'm going with the illustration. The enemy is Scarecrow. Who does Batman need to destroy? He needs to destroy Scarecrow. But who in that moment is actively seeking to harm him? The, the people, the, the citizens of Gotham. It would be easy for Batman in that moment to fight the wrong people. The people that are actually doing the physical harm to him in that moment. It would be easy for him to fight the wrong, wrong people. But what he needs to do, he needs to fight the forces of evil that are behind and empowering the people that he's interacting with. And whether you've seen that movie or not, or even whether or not you like the fact that I used an illustration from the movie. Brothers and sisters, it's easy for us to fight the wrong people. It's easy for us to fight the wrong things. It's easy for us to live in the world that we live in and hear someone who disagrees with me and see someone who disagrees with me and maybe they say things that I disagree with or they oppose my God or they post things on Facebook that are harmful or, or, or hurtful to me and my immediate response is to want to do what? To, to hate them, to fight them, to do evil to them. It's easy for us to fight the wrong enemy. It's easy for us to fight the wrong people. When Paul went into Ephesus, he knew where to bring the fight, and he knew how to fight. And his offensive was to do this. His offensive was to bring the good news of the gospel to people. People who acted like the enemy were the ones that he was there to save. The ones that he was there to bring the good news of the Savior to, to bring the good news of the gospel to. The main point this morning is this. As we talk about spiritual, war, well, spiritual warfare, my main point this morning is this. Proclaiming the gospel is how you fight the right war. Proclaiming the gospel is how you fight the right war. And we're going to see Paul doing that in some amazing situations here in, in the city of Ephesus. And I think we're going to learn some things that we can know about how we're to live our lives in a world that's much more like Ephesus than we might care to admit. In a world that's way more like Ephesus than we might care to admit. God is using Paul and his team to powerfully change the city of Ephesus. We see in verses 8 through 11 how Paul, or uh, verses 8 through 10, God is kind of sending Paul. He, he's, he's, uh, he's beginning now his third missionary journey. And it talks about how that he went into the synagogue. And for three months he spoke boldly there, but eventually there was some resistance. And so he moved out of the synagogue and began teaching in this public lecture hall. And he does this for years. And, it's, and it's, there's this daily teaching where Paul, I mean, you, we go to church once a week-ish. You might listen to a podcast or something during the week. But here Paul is providing biblical spiritual instruction on a daily basis in a pagan place. And, and people are learning. Paul is teaching them from the Old Testament how that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And he spoke, look, verse 8 says he spoke boldly and he reasoned and persuaded 
And as we take the full account of scriptures, it looks like Paul spent about three years in the city of Ephesus, this city that was under the influence of the evil one, right? We already saw in this story the oppression of demons, the oppression of idols, and the oppression of the worship of finances. This is, this is a secular city, right? Like any one of the major cities in the United States. Paul is preaching the gospel there. And we too live in a world that's attacked by demons and controlled by idols. God's going to use Paul to have a profound impact on the city. And God wants to use us, brothers and sisters, to have a profound impact on our city and on our world. So let's see how Paul fights the fight the right way and see what we can learn about fighting our fight the right way as well. Several points this morning as we walk through. First of all, let's see how the gospel of Jesus brings a remedy to the people who have problems. And here's where we see in verses 11 through 17, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Extraordinary miracles. Now, like I said earlier, by definition, miracles are extraordinary. They're miraculous. They aren't the normal way of operation. When a miracle happens, when someone walks on water, when someone turns water into wine, when someone makes someone who is crippled to walk again, when someone makes the, per- the blind person to see, we go, yeah, that's not supposed to happen. That doesn't normally happen. Uh, we're going to call that a miracle. And here, even Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, says not only is God doing some miracles through Paul, but he's actually doing them in some extraordinary ways, right? When, when you take a, a handkerchief or a, a, an apron that has touched the skin of Paul and bring it to someone who has a demon in them or a physical ailment, and that garment is used to bring healing into the per- life of that person, that's extraordinary, that's, that's along the lines of, like, super miracles. Extraordinary, extra, 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 extraordinary miracles. Brothers and sisters, what, what's going on here? Paul does not have a ministry of prayer handkerchiefs that he's selling online for $19.99. And if you will buy one, you will get a Paul-blessed handkerchief that you bring into your life. I looked, I looked on Amazon. You can get... Uh, about the best deal I could find was like $4.99 for a prayer handkerchief, but you can also get them in bundles of like five for $36, right, for, a prayer, for some prayer handkerchiefs. These handkerchiefs, these aprons, look, we already learned earlier in the book of Acts that Paul is, uh, he's doing his bivocational work. He's earning his keeping as a tent maker. What does a tent maker wear when he's doing the work of making tents? He's got an apron on. He very likely has, you know, uh, a bandana, some kind of like he's wiping his, the sweat off on a handkerchief and he's wearing an apron and he's doing his work. And miraculously, God, because notice in verse 11, God is the one who's doing these extraordinary miracles. People realize that the Jesus that Paul is proclaiming, there is healing in Jesus. And this even reminds us of a story of a woman with an issue of blood in the New Testament where, where she has so much faith in the clothing that Jesus wears, no, she doesn't have faith in the clothing that Jesus wears. She has clothing that if she can get to the Messiah, if she can get to Jesus, and if she can just, her faith is in Jesus, if I can just touch him, I know that I will be healed. So I, I don't think the lady with the issue of blood had faith that if I can just touch the bottom corner of Jesus' robe that I'll be healed. She has faith in Jesus. 
And if I can get close to him, he can heal me. And I believe this is the exact same thing that's happening here, that as God, as God is using Paul to bring healing and miraculous signs and wonders into the world of Paul's time, that people have faith in the Jesus that Paul is proclaiming. And that as they put their faith in the Jesus that Paul is proclaiming, as the, the garments of this messenger are being brought into people who maybe can't get to Paul themselves because of demon oppression or because of physical limitations, because of the illnesses that they have, God is coming to them and they, they are being healed. The remedy for what is wrong with them is showing up in, in the faith of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the solution. And Jesus has power over demons, the evil spirits that came out of them. Now, we live in a very rational, very clean, very orderly, very scientific kind of world here right now, 2020, in the United States of America. But brothers and sisters, there, there are spiritual beings and there is a spiritual war that is going on in this world. Ephesians 6 makes it clear that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Remember we talked about the battle that we're fighting? Right? And if we just find the people who don't believe in Jesus and beat them up good, then the battle will be won. No, that, that's not how it works. We, we are fighting forces that we can't see with our physical eyes, but that are really there spiritually. Jesus is greater than demons, and the work that Jesus does is delivering people from the evil spirits. The evil spirits came out of them. Now, apparently, I mean, Ephesus at the time, Ephesus was one of the premier cities for religious worship of the day. Right? Remember, we talked, we've already described Ephesus with its, with, you know, the, the temple uh, of Artemis is there, and everyone went there to worship this goddess. And, um, and so there was, there was demonic oppression there. There was idolatrous work there. This is a very religious city. There's, this is a city where there's a lot of magic going on. In the ancient Greco-Roman world, there was a lot of magicians and magic. And so there were some, there were some men who kind of started a ministry of magic. Those of you who have read the Harry Potter series, I'm going to do my best not to make very many references um, to Harry Potter this morning, right? The they have a ministry of magic. They probably read the book Defense Against the Dark Arts, and now they are coming to do this magical, powerful work in the city of Ephesus. The Seven Sons of Sceva. Does that not sound like an 80s rock band? I love it. The Seven Sons of Sceva, right? And you can almost, like, you can almost imagine the trailer at the beginning of the movie for the seven sons of Sceva, right? These seven guys are walking in. The slow music's playing. There's an explosion in the background or something, right? They're walking in, cool music playing. The seven sons of Sceva have shown up. If you've seen the movie Ghostbusters, that's what these guys are, right? Oh, you got problems? We're here. You got a ghost? You got some magic problems? We've got some incantations, We've got some formulas, we've got some things that we can do, some prayers that we can pray, some things that we can, magic, pixie dust and stuff, we'll take care of your problems. And these dudes apparently had some kind of effective demon removal ministry going on. And we, I mean, it's just really hard for us to understand exactly who they were. It says that they were the seven sons of a man named Sceva who was a high priest. And Jew, the, the, the Jewish priest, um, priesthood has been very careful to take very careful records of who are priests and who are high priests throughout thousands of years. There's nobody named Sceva who was a high priest. And so the, the, the conjecture amongst the scholars is 
He was a Jew. His name was Sceva. And he was kind of a self-appointed high priest. Like, yep, I'm a priest. My boys. And these guys are far from Jerusalem, right? They're in Ephesus. And so they've wandered far from home. And, uh, and so these guys are like many who are, um, are inappropriate. They're, they're charlatans. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. They're in it for the money. And they've got their incantations where they go in and remove demons and that sort of thing. And they're watching this guy named Paul in the city of Ephesus, and they realize, whoa, like the formulas that he's using work. Let's, let's incorporate the incantations that Paul is using. This guy's having real serious, uh, great success with the stuff. He's basically doing the same thing we are. So, you know, if you can't beat him, join him, right? So he's using the name of Jesus. We've heard of, you know, we're religious enough to know of Jesus. Hey, let's try it as well. And so they march in, and these guys, I lost my place here, um, Verse 13, they undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus, uh, the, uh, the Jesus who Paul proclaims. It's, it's almost like they know so little about him. Remember, Jesus is a common name. Jesus is not like there's, there's, not, there's other people in the Greco-Roman world, in the Jewish world of the time, whose name was Jesus, right? So just to make it clear to the demons which Jesus we're talking about, it's the one that we heard that Paul guy. We're telling you in the name of the Jesus that that Paul guy talks about to come out. We, we, we are casting you out in the name of, of that Jesus. And the evil spirit answers them. I don't know if this is common, right? If the seven sons of Sceva are used to ver- some verbal interaction with the demons that they're casting out. I have a feeling this was probably slightly unusual where the demon within this man looks at them and says, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. They lose. They got their pants knocked off. Jesus, brothers and sisters, Jesus is greater than demons, and Jesus will not allow imposters to do what only he can do. So even these men who have a religious nature to what they're doing are shown to be, shown to be um, charlatans or shown to be um, imposters. And what happens? Well, the work of Christ advances. It became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and great fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Now, notice it says that they were fearful and that the name of Jesus was extolled. And we might think that that's two different things. Like, how can you be afraid of what happened and yet and yet um, uh, glorify and extol and, uh, and, and think greater of the name of Jesus? But friends, Throughout the Bible, we are told to have the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is a real thing. And the word fear is the right fear. And the illustration that I used before is this, like when a young child fears his father, he loves his dad and he also knows, like, dad matters. Dad's the most 
sovereign thing in my life right now. I'm not going to cross dad, right? So moms, when dad gets home and you've had a hard time, what are you, what are you telling your kid before dad gets home? You don't, you don't want me to have to tell this to your father, right? Don't make me call your dad, right? That sort of thing. There's an appropriate fearfulness and yet awe and respect. And this is what's happening. People are seeing, whoa, the name of Jesus, like that gets stuff done around here. And the, name, the work of Jesus is carrying, spiritual wars are being won, not because Paul went and beat up people with demons in them or even beat up the seven sons of Sceva. He's just preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel. And the word of the Lord, the name of the Lord goes forth and is extolled. And so we see, first of all, that the gospel of Jesus brings remedy. It brings a remedy. It brings solution to the problems that people have. Second thing that the gospel does, the gospel of Jesus brings about repentance. The gospel of Jesus brings about repentance. And look in verse number 18. And many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. They were believers. They were already followers of Jesus Christ. And they see what Jesus is doing. And the fear of the Lord and the power of Jesus is so clear to them that they realize, I've got sin in my life that's not right, and I'm, and I'm getting right with God. I repent of my sin, and I'm getting right with God. Notice there's several things about their repentance that's really interesting. First of all, they're, they're willing to give up. They are willing to give up anything, and they are willing to give up everything, right? They're, they're, they're confessing and divulging their practices. A number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. So look, they're willing to give up anything. They're willing for anyone to know. They bring it out publicly the skeletons in the closet are coming out of the closet. They're willing to give up anything. They're willing for anyone to know, and they are willing for it to be costly. Ooh, that might be the hardest part. Extremely costly. Remember I said this, it's likely that these books are worth millions of dollars to them in their day. Millions of dollars. This, brothers and sisters, listen carefully, this is what happens when God really gets a hold of you. When God really gets a hold of your life, there is repentance. You will understand that the sin in your life must be removed. And when God does that work and you repent, you are willing, you are willing to give up anything and you are willing for anyone to know and you are willing for it to be costly. Because being right with Jesus is more important than anything else. It's more important than your um, reputation. It's more important than your pocketbook. Being right with Jesus is the most important thing in your life. We need to repent and get rid of sin. They brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. Some of you have books that you need to burn. I mean that figuratively, but it might be literally. Some of you have books that you need to burn. It's book burning time. There was a sermon that Angie and I used to hear from an evangelist years ago, and he, he same illustration from a different passage of Scripture. It's book burning time. Some of you might actually have books in your library 
that are ungodly. Romance novels that don't please God. Pornography. Some of you, it may not be a book, it may not be a physical piece of paper, but it's habits, websites, movies, relationships, hobbies, entertainment. Some of you have books, and it's time for the books to be burned. It's time for you to be willing to get rid of anything. that, And you know God is putting his finger on it in your heart and in your mind right now. And you're like, Jeremy, how do you know? I don't know. I don't know. But the Holy Spirit does. And he wants you to be right with him. And when, when Jesus, when the gospel of Jesus comes in and invades this place and the fear of the Lord falls on you, and in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, um, and the name of the Lord is extolled in your life, you realize, oh man, like I'm under the spotlight of the Holy Spirit. This is not Jeremy. This is not Liberty Baptist Church. This is the Holy Spirit doing this to me. And I am, I am, I'm willing. God, you can have anything. Whatever I need to do to make amends with anyone I need to make amends with, I am willing to do it. I'm willing it. I'm willing for it to cost me my reputation. I'm willing it. I'm willing for it to cost me finances. I'm ready to repent and be done with these things. Why does the gospel of Jesus bring repentance? Because you see that Jesus is better. You see that Jesus is Lord, and you realize that your sins need to be exposed and forsaken. You, it is the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. It's the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. And I want to be clean. Don't you know the experience? Like you sin against someone, and, and, and like you know. I got to go make it right. I, I said something, I did something, and I was wrong. The way I said it, what I said, I lied to them, I lied about them, I yelled at them, whatever, and I know I need to go make it right. And you are nervous, anxious, tight. You don't want to do it. You don't want to go. You think of every excuse and reason that you can. But you, at the end of the day, you know, I got to do it. I have to. So you go. And you go to that person, and beginning that conversation is like the hardest thing in the universe. But then once you say, I was wrong, I sinned against you, will you please forgive me? Like, as soon as they say, of course, I, I forgive you. Like, like, that moment, you know freedom and joy and cleansing and peace. Like, that's, that's the... That's the joy, that's the goodness of God coming to those who have obeyed him. You can live with the guilt and angst of non-repenting, or you can live in the freedom that is yours through repentance. The gospel of Jesus Christ breaks into people's life and it helps you fight the warfare against spiritual sin by bringing about repentance. Thirdly, and lastly, and we're going to unpack this, so the gospel brings about a remedy. The gospel of Jesus brings repentance. And sometimes the gospel brings about riots. Riots. It's hard for us to even see the word riot without thinking about everything that's on the news right now. But we're going to try for the moment to focus in on what's going on here in Ephesus. The gospel of Jesus brings about riots. Why did the people in Ephesus riot? They rioted because the gospel of Jesus Christ 
confronted their idols. The things that they loved, the things that was their identity, the thing that was their security, the thing that was their hope, the thing that was their security had been threatened by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because the thing that they lived for and identified with and hoped in, the thing that provided them their security, because the gospel of Jesus confronted that thing, they wanted the gospel of Jesus gone. This this Savior that Paul was preaching, get rid of him and get rid of Paul. I'll say it now and I'll touch on it again in a minute. Brothers and sisters, until you have experienced that riot in your own heart and mind, you may not fully understand what the gospel is demanding of you. We'll talk about that more in a minute. The gospel confronts our idols. I want us to see a couple of things about idols. This is, these will be subpoints, right? Number A under number th- or letter A under number three. Idols are powerless. Idols are powerless, right? Remember, we even see in this passage that what Paul is saying is that idols made with hand, gods made with hands are not gods. If you have to make your God, he's not real. If you invent your God, you actually are more powerful than him. You made him. On one hand, idols are just, they are powerless. They aren't real. Paul was attacking the foolishness of idols made with hands. But what was the real idol? What was the real thing behind Artemis that Demetrius and all of his co-workers were were upset about and fired up about? Yeah. What happened was when Paul showed up and started preaching that Jesus Christ was the one true God and that all those idols were not real, Demetrius and his co-laborers, his co-workers, they started seeing that the bottom line of their businesses began to suffer. And the shrine sales of the the silver that they had been selling for the worship of Artemis, they saw that their sales began to decline and diminish. And their financial livelihood was threatened. They worshipped idols, but they were upset because their real God was financial. Remember the old King James Version, you cannot serve God and mammon? You remember that? That word mammon. You can't serve God and money. And what they were serving, worshiping, was was the, the, the God of money. Brothers and sisters, we need to stop and give very careful consideration to what our idols might be. A few weeks ago, I preached a sermon on the idea, on the topic of idols. Paul addresses it here, or um, Timothy, uh, who wrote Acts? Luke uh, addresses it here for us in the book of Acts again. But I, I think we need to stop for a second. And instead of thinking about the Ephesians or Demetrius or those from a different political party than us or those who are rioting or... I think we need to stop and think about us for a minute. You need to stop and think about you for a minute. What might your idols be? Because remember, idols are almost never bad things. They're good things 
that we've made into ultimate things. Is family a good thing? Absolutely. Is family the ultimate thing? So what happens when I make family the ultimate thing in my life? And I put my wife and children on a pedestal that, that they actually don't belong on. And I expect from them to give me what only God can give me. Well, you know what that's going to do? It's going to frustrate all of us. Because they can't be for me what only God can be for me. They'll never satisfy me the way only God can satisfy me. And they will know that they're not measuring up to my expectations for them. And so now they're frustrated. Family's a good thing, but it's a terrible ultimate thing. Is work a good thing? Absolutely. Work's a, work is a gift from God. What happens when we make a good thing like work the ultimate thing? It will always dis- it will only disappoint because it can't do for us what only God can do. It will frustrate me and I will frustrate it. And if it's taken away from me, well now my hope, my security, the thing that I've looked to is now gone. Food, hobbies, marital intimacy. They're all good things, but they are terrible ultimate things. Functionally, in your life, what is that ultimate thing? I'm not asking for the right answer. Everybody give me the right answer. You're in church. You're going to give me the right answer. But I mean functionally, where is your hope and security? And here's how you can know. What makes you most fearful and most angry? When you are terrified or furious that the American economy might not be as strong as it once was because of poor political choices, and you come unhinged, and you are terrified about what might happen on November 3rd, is it possible that functionally for you, A strong economy has been your God. It was the God of Demetrius. This isn't isn't like, hmm, I wonder if this kind of thing could ever happen. It has happened, and it does happen even here and now. The idol of financial prosperity. And if in your heart right now, you already are ticked off at me for even suggesting such a thing, remember, these people screamed for two hours at Paul and his guys. So if you feel like screaming at me for two hours, like this is how this works. When someone puts their finger on your idol, you'll know if it's your idol if you're ready to kill them for putting your finger on it. And I'm not exaggerating. Like they wanted to kill him. They screamed for two hours that he was wrong and they were right because he had uncovered where their hope lied. Their hope lied in their credit card, in their checkbook, in their pockets. Jesus, brothers and sisters, Jesus has said 
it is difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not because he has a lot of money, but because he is tempted to trust in the money he has. As I listen to a lot of Christians, one of the main things they fear right now is what might happen in this world in the next couple of months regarding the financial stability and security of our country. Lots of talk about the economy. Listen, I want a strong economy. I have opinions about what makes for a strong economy. I will vote in a way that I hope will help our strong economy. But brothers and sisters, do you know that if America loses its strong economy, that God is still God and that you can be okay? Just like most of your Christian brothers and sisters throughout most of Christian history. Our family, there's a, there's a Christian news organization called World News, and they have a, a children's news program Monday through Friday. Uh, it's a 10-minute news program. It's called World Watch, and we subscribe to it, and our whole family watches it almost every evening after dinner. We eat dinner together. We often have Bible time, um, and we will watch uh, World Watch news. And, uh, and I would highly encourage it for any, you might be like, well, I don't have kids. I'm not going to know. Like, it's good for anybody. Um, it's Christian news from, a, or it's news from a Christian worldview. I'm talking about worldview in Sunday school. It's a very helpful way to process what's going on in our world. But at the end of every single episode, the news anchor says the exact same thing at the end of every single episode. He says, remember, whatever the news, how does it end? The purpose of the Lord will stand. Whatever the news, the purpose of the Lord will stand. Now, the only way that that encourages you is if your trust is in the purpose of the Lord. If you're trusting in something other than the purpose of the Lord, then it is no encouragement to you that the purpose of the Lord will stand. Okay. And if you look... You, uh, okay. A strong economy. A strong economy is a terrible God. And in fact, there's almost nothing that we're tempted to trust in more than finances, right? I mean, it's just me, that's me, right? If I've got some money, I feel a little more secure. When I don't have money, I don't feel secure. You cannot serve God and money. And if you look to it like an idol, you will be devastated when you don't have it. And you will be devastated when you do have it. Because idols aren't God's. I've been talking about how that an idol really is powerless, but letter B under number three, idols are powerful. And I've been describing the incredible power that they have over us. Idols are powerless, but idols are also powerful. Demetrius talked about the need for Artemis to be honored. Yes, he's kind of putting the religious spiritual spin on it. But, but at the end of the day, it is, it, is, it is having this incredible control over him. Our idols are things that we look to for our identity, our stability, and our hope. This is where our hope lies. And you either are worshiping the one true God or you have an idol. Those are your options. Those are your options. 
There's a difference between being disappointed and being devastated. Right? There are things in our world, there are things politically, there are things financially, there are things um, socially that I hope that will happen. And if they don't, I will be disappointed. But I hope that I am not devastated. There's a difference between... There's a difference between being sad about something and being suicidal. There's a difference between being frustrated and being furious. So what upsets you? What's controlling you? Why does the gospel of Jesus bring riots? Well, it brings riots because it threatens the functional God in your life. Your idol is threatened and you will come unglued, just like the Ephesians Shouting for two hours, great as Artemis. That's pretty intense. I mean, I, I've never been to a sporting event where for two hours all people did is say, you know, great as Tech or great as LSU or whatever. But some of you, some of us, have that same kind of response in our hearts when our idols are threatened. Do you live with a riotous heart? It may be because you are a true follower of Christ and your idol is being threatened by the demands of the gospel. So friend, repent. Put your faith in in Christ as the supreme, as the ultimate, as as the true God. Put him on the pedestal. Take the idol off the pedestal and put him on the pedestal of your life. So in conclusion, notice what Paul's doing. He's preaching the gospel. He didn't show up in Ephesus and seek to reform Ephesian politics or reform Ephesian culture or reform Ephesian economics. He showed up. He had one one thing he's doing. Demonic problems, I'm preaching the gospel. Believers who still have sin in their lives, I'm preaching the gospel. Idolatry problems, I'm preaching the gospel. Worship of financial things, I'm preaching the gospel. He's doing, like he's, do, he's got, it's a, it's a, he's got one solution for all problems, right? One size fits all solution. He showed up with the gospel. And what happened? He didn't show up to fix politics or to fix culture or to fix economics. He showed up with the gospel. But what happened when the gospel showed up? Well, the gospel began to fix politics and to fix culture and to fix economics. That's what the gospel does. It fixes individuals, and as individuals are collectively fixed, it fixes society, and it fixes culture, and it fixes economics, and it fixes politics. That's why the most important thing in the world for our world right now is exactly what we are doing right here, right now. The most radical, socially responsible, um, uh, culturally engaging thing that you can do is this. Gather with other believers, worship the one true God, and then leave from here eager to tell other people about the God who can change everything in your life. Friends, this is what we are doing week after week after week. So you can get involved in politics, and Christians should. And you can go on marches, and Christians should. And you can boycott, and Christians should. There's a lot of things that Christians can and should. But what you must do 
is have Jesus Christ as the supreme Lord of your life and find him to be the hope and the security and the identity that gives you shalom in a world that is full of chaos. I can argue with you to change your political opinions, and maybe you will. Maybe you'll change your political opinions and come to my political opinions, and then you will die, and then what? Or I can preach the gospel to you, and God can work in your heart and save you, and maybe you'll change your political opinions, or maybe you won't, but we will spend eternity together in heaven. I started by saying that the gospel of Jesus will heal and bring hope to uh, broken people in broken places. Or, or rather, um, I changed, sorry, um, that proclaiming the gospel is how you fight the right war. Right? Paul knew who the, enemy, the real enemy was, and the real enemy is behind the people that we're interacting with, right? Remember, Batman's not trying to kill the people of Gotham. He wants to destroy the controlling influence of the people of Gotham. And brothers and sisters, as we interact on Facebook, in, in society, um, in the world that we live in, as we interact with people, and as if, I, if I talk with someone and just all of their ideas and all of their thinking and every, like the things that they love and the things that they stand for, and I just think like all of that is wrong. Remember that that person is not my enemy. That person is in the grips of the enemy. So what I want to do is set them free from the grips of the enemy. I don't hate that person. I actually love that person. And I want to share with them. And they may be very mean and very, I mean, again, the people of Gotham were attacking Batman. And friends, as we bring the gospel into the lives of people and into our world, they will attack you. They killed the guy who did it. Right? Jesus, remember, Paul is all, all the time being beaten up and in prison. So we carry this good news, and it will at times create rioting in the hearts and minds and lives of other people, and they will not receive you or your message. And yet this is the right thing for us to carry forward. And so we want to, as individuals, make sure, ask God, God, is there anything I need to repent of? And, and God, I, um, help me to have your son Jesus as the king on the throne in my life, and now help me to carry this gospel message forward. This is how we we'll fight the right fight in the right way. We'll have the, the right enemy in, in our crosshairs with the right bullets in our gospel gun. This is the remedy that humanity needs. This is the remedy that we need, and this will bring about repentance, and it may bring about riots, but it is the right remedy. Bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to close with just a moment of kind of contemplation and then the music team will lead us in a song. Is the gospel of Jesus the remedy in your life? Have you turned from your own way and put trust in Jesus Christ alone? His work on the cross to save you? Are there areas in your life that you need to repent of? Are there books that you need to burn? There may be books that you need to burn. Is there rioting going on in your soul even today? Friend, repent and turn again to Christ. Ask God to revive your heart and to find Jesus to be the one in whom you find your identity and your hope and your security.
I'm going to give you just a moment to pray. I'm going to ask the music team to come and get in place while you pray. If you're here this morning and you'd like to talk, maybe God's working in your heart. You may be a visitor. You might have been here your entire life. Please know that I and others in here would be happy to take the word of God and sit down with you for as long as it takes to talk to you about whatever questions that you may have. Father, I pray that you would help us to be people who fight the right fight in the right way. First of all, that we would have Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior and that we would carry that message forward with love to people who may seem like the enemy but are only in the grasp of the true enemy. Help us to, spot, to fight the right, true spiritual warfare. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and we'll sing together. Turn to rise and put your armor on. Hear the call.